So a couple notes before we start. Um, hopefully enjoyed your extra hour of sleep. Maybe. You just stayed up an extra hour later. I know how that goes, right? Um, some of you got the memo. You, it's sweater day here at Friendship, right? We were talking at our family table last night. We're like, man, the South Carolina weather has made us soft. Um, it's 50 degrees and you got to break out the cold weather stuff, right? Um, just a heads up, we're going to have the Lord's Supper. We're going to celebrate that together at the end of the service. So just be thinking through that and preparing your heart uh, as we jump into that here in just a few moments. So we're in week number seven of 10 weeks in the series called Gentle and Lowly. Uh, We've been working through this content based around the book of the same name by Dane Ortland. The series is all about the heart of Christ for us, for sinners and sufferers. We've talked about and we talk about very regularly what Jesus has done for us But in this series, we're talking about his heart for us, that it's gentle and lowly. In other words, he's not aloof. He's not distant. He's not uh, in this posture of a pointed finger, but he's gentle and lowly toward us. And even though we're most of the way through the series, we'll be finishing up through the month of November, uh, I still do want to put a plug out there for connection groups. If you're looking to connect with a group of folks, we've got groups going on, uh, adults on Sunday nights, uh, also on Wednesday nights, and then we have ladies who meet on Sunday, Wednesday morning, uh, not Sunday morning, Wednesday morning. Uh, if you're interested in, in connecting in a group, go to friendshipwire.com, um, click on that gentle and lowly tab. We've also got books still available for free for the taking, so make sure you avail yourself of that if you haven't already. Last week, Jay Sermon did a great job um, as we talked about the promise of a helper. We talked about the, the, um, the heart of God revealed by his sending us uh, a helper in the person of the Holy Spirit. This week, we're going to talk about, and maybe these next few weeks, about the, the other, the third member of the Trinity, the, the Father. And what you see throughout the Old Testament of the Bible is we see the heart of God um, throughout the Old Testament. And as we move into the New Testament, we see that Jesus doesn't reveal a different aspect or go in a different direction with the heart of God. He, he simply continues and sharpens our understanding of the Father's heart for us. John Calvin was, was known for talking about how in the Old Testament we see, we're able to see the shadow but in the New Testament, we see the substance, and we see that through the person of Jesus. And in this series, we've, we've talked a lot about suffering, because we're talking about the heart of Christ for sinners and sufferers. And if I'm being honest, I'm kind of tired of talking about suffering. And yet, I think we're all kind of like, well, I'm tired of suffering, right? It's, it's, it's such a major part of life. In fact, to be honest, it's much of life is spent enduring suffering. And it's no different from for those who claim to be followers of Jesus than it is for those who are not followers of Jesus. We all have to learn how to deal with suffering. In fact, it was a major theme of the life of Jesus that everything pointed towards the end of his life when he went through the most excruciating period of suffering known to man. And so we've got to learn how to deal with suffering because it's such a part of life but we can deal with it in a way that we have perspective and hope, not gloom and doom, right? Which is, which is how we would typically deal with suffering. And I would say it this way, that it's in our hardships that we most clearly see God's heart. It's in our hardships that we most clearly see God's heart. And so this morning we're going to look at 
a book in the Old Testament that we don't tend to spend a lot of time in, but it's the book of Lamentations. The book of Lamentations, it's, it's towards the end of the Old Testament. If you flip in your Bibles to the middle, it's a little bit further beyond that. If, you, if, you, if you're flipping in a physical Bible, um, which some of you are, some of you want to flip open in your, in your app or on the, the digital bulletin sermon notes, um, the book of Lamentations, let, let, me, let me set this up for you. Um, you know, sometimes we always want to check the context when we're, we're looking into the scripture. This, in these next couple minutes, I'm going to spend a couple minutes setting up what we're going to see in Lamentations chapter 3. And I would say this, that this whole setup, it's not just like getting to the good stuff. This may be just as important as the stuff we'll see. And so don't turn off as I'm trying to set up the book of Lamentations and what it's all about. You know, some of you may be like, man, I've never read the book of Lamentations. I couldn't for the life of me tell you what it's about. So let me explain what it is. Lamentations, it comes from this root word lament. What does it mean to lament? There, there's a few things that happen when, when people or when God's people lament. And you see this throughout the scriptures. To lament is to express grief or to process emotion, all right? Whether it's sadness or anger, it's processing emotion. To lament is to voice confusion. Have you all ever done any of these things in your life? Maybe not even verbally, but in your head, in your heart, you've expressed grief. You're trying to process emotion with what's going on in your life or voicing confusion. This is what lament is. And lament is clearly very important in our life of faith. That's why there's a whole book in the Bible dedicated to lament. Because what happens is in our suffering, often it causes us to question God, to question God's character, to question God's promises. And here's what I want you to hear this morning is that nowhere in the Bible does it look down upon that. In fact, it's a healthy part of our life of faith is to lament, to grieve, to process that with the Lord. And I would even say, I would go so far as to say this, is that suffering may be, in fact, the most important ingredient, the most important faith-building ingredient in our lives. None of us likes to go through suffering, but it may be the most faith-building ingredient in our lives because in our suffering, in our affliction, in our hardship, it forces us to turn our attention towards heaven. And in those moments is when we, we make decisions. Are we going to lean into God and his character and his promises? Or are we going to pull away? Make no mistake about it. Suffering forces us to do that. And so it's such an important part of this life of faith. So in the book of Lamentations, what you find, it's five chapters long. And it's just a book of lament. It is the people of God, Israel, and they're lamenting over this event that has taken place in their corporate history. Okay, so let me, let me give you an idea of what's going on here in Lamentations. The people of God are, are reflecting on this, what has to this point in their history been the most horrific, tragic event in the history of their nation. And, and I'm referring to the Babylonian captivity. All right, so, so think with me back to the beginning and how God makes this promise to Abraham and to his descendants that he's going to give them this land. Okay, that's what we call the promised land. He promises this land to Abraham and his people. 
And then God raises up over the course of time, David, who becomes king. And David um, has victory to make Jerusalem the capital of, of this this nation, and from David comes this royal line of kings, and there's this temple that's established in Israel where, where God's presence is able to come down and be amongst his people, and he sets up priests to serve in that temple, and all these things, God is building his, his people in, in his nation, and yet he's warned them about their sinfulness and their rebellion against him, and, and what happens is after 500 years of history, all of that is gone. And all of it is, is decimated as, as, as the Lord allows the nation of Babylon to come in and, and destroy Jerusalem and to take God's people captive and to take them into captivity. And so what you see in the book of Lamentations is for five chapters, there's, it's really broken down into five poems of lament where God's people are grieving and they're processing their emotion and they're voicing their confusion over what is taking place, that God has promised us this land and all of this fruitfulness, and yet now here we are captive. Here we are, our nation has been looted and destroyed, and we've been taken prisoners. God, what about your character? What about your promises? And so the book of Lamentations, there's no word from God. There's no like resolution. There's no easy answers that God gives to his people. It's simply five chapters, five poems of lament where God's people are grieving before the Lord. And they're trying to figure out all the emotions and all the reality of what they're facing in their lives. Now, as people of God, have you ever been at that place where you're like, God, I thought you said this. I thought you promised this. And I don't understand what's going on in my life. This is where his people were. And this is what the book of Lamentations is all about. And so five chapters, the first two and the last two chapters are each 22. They're all 22 verses long, but right in the middle, chapter three, you have the longest chapter. It's three times in length. It's 66 verses. And we're going to look right at the very center of this book. And so Lamentations chapter three, I just want to read through verses 19 to 33, and then we're just going to see a few things that we learn from the lament, the lamentation of, of God's people. So Lamentations chapter 3, starting in verse number 19, the writer says this, remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall, my soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. There's some things I remember that bring me hope. Verse number 22. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. Let him sit alone in silence when it is laid on him. Let him put his mouth in the dust. There may yet be hope. Let him give his cheek to the one who strikes. Let him be filled with insults. And this kind of is a speaking forward of, of the Lord Jesus and, and how he was dealing with suffering. Verse number 31, for the Lord will not cast off 
forever. But though he caused grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he does not afflict from his heart or grieve the children of men. And so there's, there's three things that I just want to see that we can learn from the people of God as they grieve and as they lament. Here's, here's the first thing. Suffering is certain, but it's not final or fatal. Suffering is certain, but it isn't final, nor is it fatal. And what, what you saw in these last few verses, in verses 31 through 33, what you see is it says, the Lord will not cast off forever. And this is speaking of the, the children of Israel, that the Lord did cast them off. He warned them and then he judged them. He will cast off. Verse number 32, it says, though he cause grief. And so here's the reality that there are times when the Lord will cause grief. Verse number 33, for he does not afflict from his heart or grieve the children of men. So he does sometimes afflict. And so here's what I want to say this morning is that suffering is certain. There are times when some of our suffering is self-inflicted, right? Y'all get that. Sometimes it's a result of my sinfulness, my ignorance. I brought it on myself. And so I'm dealing with this in my life. Sometimes our suffering is uh, collateral damage. It's the sinfulness of others, or it's the foolishness of others, or it's just a result of living in a fallen world. But sometimes, and this is a hard truth to wrestle with, is that sometimes it's actually from the hand of God. And I, I don't have any, I can't explain away suffering. I can't explain away hardship. I can't give a nice pat answer. I can't tie a sweet little bow on why we go through suffering. But here's what I know is that sometimes it comes from the hand of God. Suffering is certain, but here's the truth. It isn't final and it isn't fatal. It isn't final. It isn't fatal. To God's people, it isn't final. It isn't fatal. It's only part of your story, but it's not, it's not the whole of your story. It's not the end of your story. And I want to remind you of, of Jesus in Hebrews 12, where it says that for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. And so suffering was a part of his story, but it wasn't the end. It wasn't the whole story of Jesus. The end of the story was joy, but it was part of his story. And, and for us, for the people of God, listen, I want to make sure this is clear, that entrance into the, the family of God, the people of God, it's not something that we just inherit from our parents. It's not something that is just a right that we have because we go to church. No, to be part of the people of God means you must be in Christ. That means that you possess a personal faith in Jesus. And I want to make sure that is, is clear. Because when you put your faith in Jesus, you become a part of God's people. And for God's people, suffering is never final and it's never fatal. It's not the end of your story. And I want to just read you a couple verses that you know and we hear often. And yet I think the reason that we hear them often is because we need to hear them often. So I want to read to you Romans chapter 8 verse 28 that says this, We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. When he calls you to himself, you put your faith in him and you love him. 
He says that all things work together for good, even your suffering. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 and 17, another such an important verse that we need to hold on to. It says this, verse 16, so we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. And how many amens can I get? I literally stepped up into the booth this morning. I was like, oh man, old man niece. I've got these old man issues. Old man is wasting away. Moving right on. Here's the part that you take hope in, is that our inner self is being renewed day by day for this light momentary affliction. Don't miss that. You ever feel like your suffering is going on and on and on and there's no end to it? Paul says, our light momentary affliction, people of God, brothers and sisters, our light momentary affliction is preparing for us, or another translation, is working for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Here's what the scriptures tell us plainly, is that even in our suffering, even in our hardship, even in our affliction, there is work being done. There is important work being done. God's work is being done in your circumstances, in your events, as he's weaving those things together for your good and for his glory. But he's not just working in these events, he's working in you. He's working in you. He's preparing something in you. He's preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. And so suffering, it is certain, but for the follower of Jesus, it isn't final and it isn't fatal. Here's another thing that we learn from the lamenting people of God is that God doesn't afflict from his heart. He may afflict, he may cause grief, but he doesn't afflict from his heart. And I want to look back again at verse number 33 that says this very thing, for he does not afflict from his heart or grieve the children of men. So I really appreciate this this book and the reading over these few chapters that we're kind of covering today. There was this new kind of learning that I had, and it was it was from you know you know I love my dead old guys, my old theologians, um, Thomas Goodwin, Jonathan Edwards. They talked about this idea. I'd never heard this terminology before, but I, but it helps me. He talked about God's strange work versus His natural work. All right, so strange in not in terms of like weird but like it's alien to him. It's not the the thing that is most natural to him. Let let me read you a quote to kind of help put this in context. From the book, Dane Ortland said this, "The, the only one who, I think I left out a word there, the only one who rules and ordains all things brings affliction into our lives with a certain divine reluctance. He's not reluctant about the ultimate good that is going to be brought about through that pain. That is indeed why he is doing it. But something recoils within him in sending that affliction. So it like reminds me of, of a parent who, who allows some hard things to happen in the life of their, their children. Not because they enjoy it but they know what it's going to produce in them. They know that it's going to do something good inside of them. And so they reluctantly allow it to happen, knowing it's for a greater good, right? This is, 
This is what we would call the strange work of God. So the strange work of God is to punish, to, to punish and to afflict and to judge. This is his strange or alien work. But the thing that is most natural for him is not to afflict and not to cause suffering, not to judge. It's to show mercy and grace and love. This is the thing that most naturally flows out of him. This is why we see this description of God in the Old Testament that he is slow to anger. This is why when it talks about the people of God, Israel, it talks about them provoking him to anger. You don't have to provoke God to love and mercy and grace because that most naturally flows out of who he is. You have to provoke him to get angry. You have to provoke him to judgment. This is his most natural work. Jeremiah 32 verse 41, the heart of God is described here. He says, I will rejoice. He's, he's talking about the restoring work of his people. He says, I will rejoice in doing them good and I will plant them in this land in faithfulness with all my heart and all my soul. You know what he says flows out of his heart? It's not anger. It's not judgment. It's not affliction. It's not grieving you. It's love and mercy. It's to restore. It's to do them good. This is what he does with all of his heart and with all of his soul. And so there may be times when he brings affliction. There may be times when he brings grief, but he doesn't do it from his heart. The most natural work of his heart is mercy and grace towards us. And this, is, this flows right into the third thing that we see from the people of God as they lament, as they mourn, is this, that God's mercies always follow. His mercies always follow. Let me go back to verses 21 through 23. The writer here, as he's in the midst of, of trying to wrestle with all of his emotion and all of his confusion, he remembers something. Verse 21, this I call to mind. This is what I remember, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. The steadfast love of the Lord. I want to read you a quote from pastor and theologian John MacArthur. That, that word steadfast love that you see there, it, it comes from this Hebrew word. It's, it's pronounced hesed and sometimes it's translated as, as mercies. John MacArthur says this about that word. This Hebrew word, hesed, used about 250 times in the Old Testament, refers to God's gracious love. It is a comprehensive term that encompasses love, grace, mercy, goodness, forgiveness, truth, compassion, and faithfulness. And so when we talk about his mercies, a steadfast love that never ceases, that never ends, what we see, what, what we're told over and over is that his steadfast love, his mercies never end, they never stop, they never run out. 
And, and this reminds me, you know, yesterday morning, Saturday morning, and uh, got into my refrigerator to pull out uh, some cold brew, all right? We, like a month or so ago, I found this amazing contraption on Amazon. It's like a cold brew iced coffee maker, all right? Brilliant, it's for 20 bucks, if any of y'all are interested, all right? And so, uh, so the way it works is it's basically this pitcher with this core, like filter that goes in the middle. You pour the grounds in, pour water over it, and then you put it in your fridge and let it like brew for a few hours or overnight. And so, um, you know, we've just become dependent on, you know, this cold brew maker. So I come to the fridge on Saturday morning. It's the weekend. I need, the, I need my coffee. I open the fridge and there's no cold brew. And my wife was like, oh, no, I forgot to brew some more. I'm sorry. I failed you. I was like, it's okay. It's okay. I can just make, you know, make it another way or find some other means of survival. <laughs> uh, apparently, I, I survived. Um, until I went in this morning, I'm like, oh, it's brewed, but I didn't, ah, there's too much work. We'll, we'll get to it later. Um, but I just thought of that because like there comes a point, you know, you fill up this pitcher and throughout the week, it just slowly like depletes, you know, it diminishes and it gets to this point where like, okay, not enough for a full cup. And so um, we have to brew some more. We have to make some more. And I just was thinking about like the mercies of God. Like some of us think that our sinfulness and our foolishness, every time we, we blow it, it's like we deplete God's mercies. And it's like his grace begins to like run out and slowly like empty. But what the scriptures tell us is they never run dry. We never deplete his supply of mercy and grace. And y'all, I've done some stupid, sinful things in my life and never once has one drop of his grace and mercy been depleted or diminished. His mercies are full and overflowing and they never run out. In fact, if you go back and look at verse number 23, it says this, they are new every morning. In other words, they are fresh every single morning. And the writer declares this. He says, great is your faithfulness. Even in my lack of faith, even in my wandering, even in my suffering, you remain steadfast in your love for me. You remain faithful. Y'all remember that old hymn? Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, what do I see? New mercies. I see, this is where it comes from. It's from a lament. It's from a time of grieving. It's from a time of mourning. The suffering going on in the life of the people of God. And they, as they're wrestling through their suffering, they come to this conclusion that, man, God, your mercies always follow. Even though suffering is certain, so is your love and your grace and your mercy. You always have enough to match the, 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 the suffering and the affliction and the hardship that I'm experiencing in my life. Look back at Lamentations 3. Look at verse number 32. He, sa he says this, but though he caused grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his hesed, his steadfast love. Even though you cause grief, you're going to give me 
all the compassion I need according to the abundance of your hesed, your steadfast love that never runs out. Psalm 23, you know the great Psalm, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. It comes to the very end of this great declaration of, of his loving leadership in our life. And Psalm 23, verse number six says this, surely goodness and hesed, mercies that never run out, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life in the mountains and in the valleys in the victory and in the suffering. Surely, goodness and mercy, your, your steadfast love will follow me. I can't lose. I can't, I can't shake it. Your mercies always follow all the days of my life. And so when your faith is in Christ, when you have a personal faith in Jesus, God's goodness and his mercies, they follow you in the person of Jesus and through his Holy Spirit in you. And so how do we live in, in light of this truth? What do we do in light of what we see in the book of Lamentations? I'm going to give you one phrase. You may have heard this. This isn't original to me. And yet I love this. I love this phrase. And it applies so much in, in what we're talking about here. When you can't see his hand, trust his heart. When you can't see his hand, trust his heart. But you can't trust his heart unless you know what his heart is for you. You can't trust his heart unless you know him. And that is the point of, of this entire series is we want to know the heart of God for us. We want to know the heart of Christ for us, that his heart is gentle that his heart is lowly. It is for us in his most natural work. His heart overflows and showing us mercy and grace. And so when you go through suffering, when you go through hardship, when you experience affliction and when you can't see his hand at work, trust his heart. Know his heart for you. And so what we're gonna do over these next few minutes is we're gonna continue to worship the Lord. We're going we're gonna to celebrate the Lord's Supper and remembering all that he has done for us in the person of Jesus. And so, you know, if you're a follower of Jesus, part of, of taking the Lord's Supper, we'll do that in just a few moments. Uh, if you're not familiar with what it's about, that's okay. I'll explain it in just a couple minutes and no pressure for anyone to participate with us. But if you're a follower of Jesus, part of, of preparing to take the Lord's Supper is just simply examining your heart. And so as we sing for the next few minutes, as we worship this faithful God, I want you to open your heart to the Lord and allow him to just look in and reveal to you anything that you need to lay at his feet, anything that you would need to confess, anything that you would need to forsake, anything you would need to repent of. This is a moment for us to worship the Lord in preparation for the Lord's Supper. So I wanna ask you to stand with 